why are we? Let's not pretend like we're cheery. Patrick Hines, <laughs> gotta wanna, get through it. I want to. We have to explain have, to the people. Okay. You guys, we started recording this episode. At, hi, hi, welcome to True Crime Obsessed. Hi, I'm Jillian. I'm Patrick Hines. We started recording this in my at my place, like we usually do, up in Hamilton Heights. Up in Hamilton Heights. And then, Bill, I spilled water all over our equipment, my equipment. You gestured wildly. Gestured wildly, and uh, all my equipment broke. So now we're at your house. It took us literally an hour and a half. It took me an hour and a half to get to you because of train issues. Yeah. It took us an hour and a half to get here. Yeah. Uh, not counting the 10 minutes we stopped to get some wine and <laughs> bourbon because, girl! We, it's, it's just, please. God bless this mess of a recording session. Right. But I'm glad, you know what? I also, I forgot something. What? So it totally makes sense that we're back here. It's like, thank you, podcasting <laughs> universe. What did you forget? So this is going to be our last recording until the end of the year. Yeah, we're off next week, you guys. Sorry, holidays. Yeah, it's been holidays. a time. Um, so I have a gift for you. What? Yeah. It's in a bright pink bag. Yeah. Oh my god. It's of course. And when I, when I was finding the bag, to, I was like, Patrick gets the hot pink bag. <laughs> you guys, it's the the nuns having fun calendar. Right. I've been, this is the ultimate callback. I've been. You guys, the keepers episodes, keepers. numbers, whatever and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Go back. Go back and listen to them if you haven't already. Oh. I've been my sitting god. on that gift since the keepers, and I've been having so much trouble like not <laughs> saying anything to you about it. Like, you guys, I'm gonna put pictures of these pictures in the face. Group. It's like the 2018 Nuns Having Fun calendar. They still make them. <laughs> There's a nun bowling on the cover. She <laughs> is having fun. Oh my God, I love it so much. So happy all the things. I love you. I appreciate I love that we do this. Me I'm so too. grateful for you and the listeners and all that stuff. So I love you You're and happy end of the year. I received this letter in 1980. A man named Gerald Foose, who decided he wanted to buy a motel for the express purpose of using it to watch everything that was being done in private. It had a high-pitched roof. That's where I would build my observation platform. They couldn't hear me. They couldn't see me. That was exactly what I wanted. I'm writing a story about him for The New Yorker. I'm a natural person to write about a voyeur because as a writer, I'm a voyeur myself. Nobody ever will be able to do what I did. I mean, Foos is really disturbed, a sociopath who just needed the attention. I spent more than 25 years waiting to bring his story and him as a person into the public eye. If I knew what I was going to feel, I'd have never done this. Gerald Foose and I have a deal. That is, for me to tell the truth and him to live with it. Suddenly, this guy is forgetting what we've agreed to. I think Gay and I are going to have a real problem. What the hell does he think this is? Some kind of goddamn game? They're trying to expose you as a hypocrite. How do you know what they're thinking? Because that's the way people are. Did we hit a sore spot on you? The story never ends. The stories never die. A lot of reporters think when they leave the story, it's all over. Sometimes it's just beginning. What on, in my man voice for a minute, what on earth? <laughs> yeah, please, uh, that Let's lower register, please. Let's take it down an octave, yeah. <laughs> uh, what? It's called Voyeur. Yeah. I am not, like, on the hype board. I feel like you know, there's a lot of hype, and I'm just like, 
Okay. I gotta say, I started out not on the hype board, but I I kind of love it. Like, it, it, it's one of those that, like, I, I felt really aggro starting it. Like, I felt very much like I just hated everybody. But then I kind of got into it, because it there's some good twists and turns in this. Right, but, like, then they don't talk about them. They, yeah. like, tell us, like, there's a twist over here, bye. <laughs> and then we just see Gay Talese and Gerald Foos just competing for who could be the grumpiest old man. First of all, first of all, first of all, can you imagine a worse name can you imagine a worse name in like adolescence no than gay talese no as an actual gay i cannot imagine no well you know what he took all that and he became the best dresser (laughs) and the best journalist and quote observer he could be i know i've been a reporter from the time i was 15 i'm 80 now my life has pretty much been living through other people's experiences and to be a very accurate chronicler. I mean, from the suspenders to the bow tie to the tweed jackets to the loafers. But he really did lead, like, this super interesting life. I know. Even though I don't know how reliable of a source he is. Right. I mean, the thing is, Gaetali is, you know, obviously is the famous journalist. He's written, he literally wrote what is considered to be the best essay, uh, the best nonfiction essay ever written. Frank Sinatra has a cold. Yeah. With the best title, hands down. So anyway, the whole thing about this movie, the whole thing about the beginning of this movie is that, like, we're introduced to Gaetali in his, like, literally six million dollar brownstone blocks away from here can we just talk about how different his apartment is from the apartment we're in right now just real quick i live in a brownstone a small dot in a crowded block on the east side of manhattan you're a writer like how on earth yeah does he afford that brownstone it seems like he came from some kind he talks about like the tailored custom suits he always had made tailors yeah i always dressed very nicely clothes make a difference. My father was a tailor, always beautifully dressed. As a boy in a store, my father's tailor shop, I had clothes made for me. My father was a prideful tailor. I became a prideful journalist. So he, now the bunker, right? Oh my God, so he talks about how he has a bunker. (sighs) In the, in the basement of his house. Which should have been the wine cellar. It it's was like, a wine cellar. <laughs> Priorities. Did the wine at least go to a good home? <laughs> Did it? Is the wine okay? I know. You know, he's got all of, God bless this mess of like a, of a filing system. And again, it all comes back to the keepers. I know. Where it's like this, this organized mess, God yeah. bless this mess, where he's like, oh, that's over there. Oh, yeah, no, 1950, whatever. Yeah, no, I know exactly <laughs> where that is. Like, then I have my files, collected papers, chronological through the years. Gay Talese, 53, copy boy, New York Times. Now we're into the 60s, 66. This is with the Sonata thing, Joe DiMaggio. I have every article they ever wrote. And also the notes. All this crap, I keep. Gay, Gay Talese. He's not actually gay, but we're going with it. It sounds like his name is Talese, and you're just calling him <laughs> Gay Talese, which is something we would absolutely do on this podcast. And then, like, he's already, like, it's just a little just foreshadowing into the absolute curmudgeon he gets to be. Because four minutes in, he's like, I need a gin martini. And I'm like, girl, same. Oh, okay. Well, I'm ready for a gin martini. Okay, at the same time as we're meeting Gay Talese, who else are we meeting? The guy who follows Borat around. Uh, Gerald Foose. He looks exactly the same. That The reference is that they look the same. They're, like, hairy and short and... Not maybe in the best shape. I'm pursuing a a story about a man named Gerald Foose who decided he wanted to buy a motel for the express purpose 
of using it to watch everything that was being done in private. So tell us about our friend Gerald. Oh, so basically Gerald Foos brags about how he bought a motel in Colorado to spy on people for 47 years. And he does this through what they call the attic. He just like made air ducts yeah. in his apartment, in his apartment. Oh my God. In his motel. Can you imagine? Now I'm going to be like, he's in my house. <laughs> All the air ducts. I'm like, what? Um, to spy, so he would like go through the crawl space and then look down on them. So he wasn't looking like on the floor because usually vents are sometimes yeah, on the floor. Yeah. It would be on the ceiling. We have to unpack this a little bit. So he sort of like he he makes references to, to himself as like godlike references about eleven times throughout. Everybody drink when he says that. I know. You see, I associate most things with God. How powerful do you have to be to create a universe? He says, first of all, that he wasn't he wasn't a voyeur or like he wasn't like spying. He was doing research. The only thing that they have in their mind is the fact that I may be a pervert and a peeping Tom because I, I wasn't that. I was actually a researcher and I believe that. Can we talk about that real quick? <laughs> yes. Here's what drives me nuts in life, yeah. true crime or not. Yeah. Don't try to make it something else. <laughs> Don't call it research when you just want to like masturbate to people. Oh. A scientist out there doesn't research. Isn't there like a list? It's like the hypothesis, the research, the lab, the experiment. Like right. research is part of a greater thing. Yeah. What are you researching? No, I and know. for what? For your own personal creepy journal? Oh, wait. Yes. I know. And then he says he, he calls the hotel his laboratory. I mean. I know. And then he says like he buys the hotel and he does a year's worth of work on it. But describe for us what the motel looked like. It well, had it, it had a high pitched roof where I could walk down the middle. And I figured that's where I would build my observation platform. Right. Took about a year. Yeah. Because I did not want to make any kind of mistakes. I said, well, I'm going to have to do most of the construction myself because I don't want anybody to find out what I'm doing. And then, my my God, this man finds not one, but two wives who are trying to like, yeah, go do it. I'll make you a sandwich. And she brings the sheet. That's not a joke. I know. She makes the sandwiches. And then Gerald is like, you know, and Anita's like, oh, my good grief. Gerald hasn't eaten all day. He's up there doing all his research. I I'm going to bring him a sandwich and a soda. Donna used to come up and bring me like a Coke. Yeah. Sometimes even bring me a sandwich. Right. Because she knew I was up there. I said, poor old Gerald, he's up there and he hasn't eaten. So it's all this, ins this is just this insane nonsense. And so what we learn about Gay Talese is that he wrote a book called Thy Neighbor's Wife. Mm, another good title. The guy <laughs> knows how to write some titles. Which is like, apparently was like a sensation. He was on Donahue. Now you're back with Thy Neighbor's Wife. An eight-year study of sexuality in America. This will be the most talked about book of the decade. There's this whole like section of the of the documentary where he's like making the rounds defending the fact that he was like going and living in these cults and having like free love and free sex. I don't know if they were necessarily cults. They were just like sex they were like nudist right. compounds yeah. and communes. I became a resident writer in a sexually free society. We got to have sex with other people. But the thing is, he has become known for, like, a person who is, like, a famous writer who, who like, doesn't think that things like this are weird. Now that he, like, really more than dabbled yeah. in being in, like, a sex commune. Yeah. I love, like, the pictures, like, the naked pictures of Gay Talese. With him and 16 other people. By the way, he was a total fox. You know, you've been waiting. I was going to say, this is the Buddha field all over again. It's right. just, like, where are all these good-looking, thin right. people? Total I know. Like, I know. in shape, but they don't do anything. I guess sex. So... 
Gerald reaches out to him, sends him a letter in 1980, basically saying like, hey, weirdo, I'm a weirdo. Like, I literally, like, spy on people. Like, that's what I do. Like, maybe you might want to write about me someday. This relationship I had with him starts with a letter. I received this letter on January 7th, 1980. Dear Mr. Talese, since learning of your long-awaited study of coast-to-coast sex in America, which will be included in your published book, Thy Neighbor's Wife, I feel I have important information that I could contribute to its contents or to contents of future books. And Gerald's whole thing, he was scared that, like, no one would know about it. Like, he wanted, he, he was, like. He had to tell this story before he died. He thought it a, an accomplishment. He, like, right. want. he was, like, well, I did all this and, like, no one's going to know that I did right. all this. Totally. And it's, like, you goddamn creep. If you think about it, no, the whole point is that nobody knows that you're doing it right. while you're doing yeah. it. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. You creep. Gage Lee does not agree with you. He's, like, yes, girl, yes, yes, yes. I know, well. He's, like, I want to write about you, but I need to be able to use your real name. Mm-hmm. I would never write about him unless I could use his name. There's no point as a nonfiction writer in writing about personal life unless you use real names. Otherwise, write fiction. And he's like, I, I'm not, like, you know, he'd lose his business, he'd lose his family. So he's like, right. so Gay Talese, you know, as a journalist, makes this great point about how, like, you have to, you know, as a journalist, you should stay in touch with these people because things might change. See, the problem in journalism, it takes place in too short a period. Reporters go out and they talk to somebody today and they never see them again. Interview, in and out. Well, I don't do that. I like to keep in touch because there are chances, maybe two or three decades later, where you can go back and see these people and you can find out what happened after you left off. And this letter was in 1980. Right. So So here we are 30 years later and Gay Talese is saying to this guy, like, I'm 80, you're 78. One of us is going to die any minute. Like, he's got the TikTok. Gay Talese, again, drink whenever he says that. He literally (laughs) says to the camera, to anyone who'll listen, someone's dying. (laughs) I don't know if it's going to be me or him, but if we're going to do this, he's literally looking around. You guys, he's telling his tailor. One of us is dying. I called up this guy and I said, I think you're about ready to do it. He says, I'm, I, have, I sold my motel in 1997. So the statute of limitations is probably allows me to, and most of those people are dead anyway, or I mean, and I, at 78, I said, yes, well, I'm 80. So if you're gonna do it, you better do it fast because neither of us is gonna be around that much longer. And Gerald totally goes, he's like, you know what, you're right. And like, at least Gay Talese also looks amazing for 80 years Gay old. Gay Talese is a, he does look amazing. Gerald at 78 has a lot more to worry about. <laughs> I feel like the yeah. cholesterol is no. probably <laughs> not where it should be. Well, so the thing is, like, Gerald had sold the motel in the 90s. So he's kind of like, what do I have to lose? Like, sure. So anyway, so what happens is, what Gay Talese is doing is writing an article. He's going to, the idea is that he's going to write a book and the New Yorker is going to excerpt it for a, an issue. Right. So they set up all these interviews. And the first interview, like Gerald shows up in like a three-piece suit with the sunglasses. Uh. And the, the thing that we learned, so Gay Talese's first question is like, what made you be like this? And Gerald immediately <laughs> blames the parents. I was brought up in a very uh, secluded uh, sexual environment. Yeah. Where my mom and dad never told me anything about sex. Yes. So he's like, my parents like didn't really talk about sex a lot. Right. So it made me like curious about everything. And that's what made him want to be such a voyeur because 
if he wasn't going to, if he wasn't allowed to talk about it or learn about it, he at least wanted to watch it. So how did he do that, Jillian? I'm sort of dying to hear you tell the story. This is so disgusting. You I guys, know, I know. I know. Um, in case you can't tell, I hate it. Like my te- <laughs> my body temperature is rising. My fists are clenched. So what he, the most beautiful woman he's ever seen, is named Catherine. It's also his aunt. <laughs> it's so gross. It's his it's mom's so sis. okay who happened to live across the street we lived uh, right straight across the street from my mother's sister Catherine Eckhart she was beautiful in other words from my eyes the most beautiful woman that I ever laid eyes on is that right yes she was and he would like literally like pull back the blinds and he was like I could just see the light shone right and he could just like where he was he could see right in her bedroom window you know in those days Nobody pulled shades down. <laughs> I didn't know. know that. That's true. There was a, a mirror. Mirror. Now I could look from here into that mirror and see what everything she was doing in the room. And it made him have like a freckle fetish because well, she was a redhead. I never really knew what freckles were in those days, but I wanted to find out. And Anita's like, hi. I know. Oh, my God. His wife, Anita, is sitting right next to him. In her Olympic uh, medal, <laughs> Olympic, the rings of the Olympics dun, sweatshirt. Dun, 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 sponsored dun, dun, by legs. <laughs> so she, poor Anita. But, like, Anita is actually just, like, nodding. Like, mm-hmm, 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 She's like, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I know. Anita, what do you think? Good word, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then here's what he says too, where I'm like, Gerald, I, I, I hate you on site. Like I, I just, know, I know. Every, the, it's just, I can't girl, please. Not, you don't even get a girl. Garbage, garbage, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so <laughs> what he says, he's like, it was this mysterious force. I was draw. I couldn't not look at this beautiful right. woman oh, who right, happened yeah. to be my aunt. And he was like, you know, um, maybe it was because I was going through pubertance. <laughs> A mysterious force captivated my entire body. I think it was because I was entering pubertance. Not puberty. He means puberty. I know, I know. Pubertance. And even the closed (laughs) captions, because you know how I watch with captions so I don't miss anything, they were like, fuck that. They wrote puberty. So I, because I looked up, because I was already writing like in all caps and like no, no, nothing spelled right about how disgusting this was about his aunt. And so I was like, did he just say pubertance? And then I looked up and the caption still said puberty, but I was like, no. And I rewound it. And I love how the captions were like, girl, sit down. You meant puberty. We're saying puberty. Like, stop it. So really, he just went through pubertance, you guys. Just more excuses, I feel. Oh, my God. I've had it. He, she's the reason he likes freckles and she's the reason he likes big boobs. That's your aunt. Can I say I it one more time? I know, I know, aunt. I know, I know, I know. Like, stop. Okay, so the next thing that happens is... Back in 1980, Gay Talese goes to... He's like, I need to verify this for myself. I'm going to go... Because it sounds ridiculous. Right. Really. It sounds yeah. like, dude, right. really? In 1980, I flew out to see him. I wanted to be sure this guy wasn't lying to me. So Gay Talese, which again, I'm sorry, still sounds like his name. His first name is Talese. <laughs> I will never get over it. And I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners, because now that I said it, you probably hear it like that too. I apologize. Um, so he goes and Gay Talese is like, you for the research. As a guest of the voyeur, I was going to be a voyeur. I was going to be a companion of the voyeur. And he said, okay, I'll take you up. So then now he's like crawling. He's like creepy crawling across like the ceiling with Gerald. And Gerald's whole thing is like, he made it, he designed it so that you can see and hear them, but they can't hear or see you. Right. He was very proud of that. So he just 
manufactured it in a way. Right. That that so was what they was They happening. go to a room. They're, they're above a room where like a couple is having, they describe this couple as beautiful. Mm-hmm. Is it like having an oral sex situation? Mm-hmm. They pointed down and we looked upon a very good looking couple engaged in oral sex. And Gay Talese, for research purposes, gets really close to the vent. I lean closer and closer, watching intently. And all of a sudden he feels a hand on his shoulder. I uh, Around his neck. Around his neck. And then I felt a man's hand on my neck. Believe right. me, girl, I thought this was going in a totally different <laughs> direction. Oh my God, I thought he was about to be gay to leave. <laughs> I really did. Oh, I thought he was just going to be strangled and murdered. Yeah, so then he's like, what, what had happened was his tie, because you know, gay dresses to the nines. Of course. He His like red tie had slipped through the through the vent or whatever. That damn tie of mine, my red silk tie, was only like a couple of feet from the head of the woman giving a blowjob to this guy on his bed. Jesus. He said, you have to be careful with that tie. And then I feel I feel like that's when Gay Talese, and also all of us were like, holy shit. Yeah. This totally. guy's like a professional at this. So the thing is, at this point, they then start going into like all of the different, like what it was actually like to live this voyeur life and all of the different things that he sees. Because he kept a very detailed journal. You do see sex, but not as often as you would think. It isn't boring. In fact, it's worse than that. It's real. Life is tedious. It's people expressing the tedium of ordinary life. Also, this is another thing. Don't not call it what it is. He refers to himself, Gerald refers to himself as the voyeur. And honestly, Gay Gay Talese says it too. In his notes, he refers to himself often as the voyeur in the third person. On the observation platform, the voyeur is kind of a distinct, separate entity. And I think we exist side by side. That's who I'm most offended by. I know, it because I know. it's like, don't make him a character of something else. This is a real That's our job. garbage <laughs> ding 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 person. Yeah, don't exactly. try to turn well the voyeur would. Right. It's yeah. not a character. Yeah. This is a real life person making real choices and violating these people. Totally. Enough. I know. I know, but I do kind of want to go over some of the things that over the oh, years. Oh, we have to. Yeah. Like what he did to like trick people. Oh, well, okay. So so one of the first things he is realizing is that like Certain people he wants to stay longer. So he's like describing how he's giving them like low room rates to get them to stay. He says the words, I used to keep them there. (laughs) I got interested in certain people. And of course I knew who was in the rooms. I used to keep them there as much as I could. I gave them low rates. That is so creepy. (laughs) He says, I used to keep them there. Like... These people were being held like almost against their will, but they thought they were totally fine. Like I can't handle it. I know. And so then for you his, guys, like- this is so easily flippable. There's a tray. <laughs> there's a tray on my trunk, which is like right in the middle of my living room. Yeah. And I, there's stuff on it. You I guys, know. I'm so there's a lot of stuff on it. I've never been so tempted in my life. I know we should flip it. Is it nailed down? So he also, as part of his like experiments, he decides he's going to start like, he says he puts dildos in the bedroom. Like all these sex toys. He really became somewhat cynical. He wanted to entrap people. Well, the first thing I started doing was planting uh, dildos. 
in addition to the Bible that is usually in one of the bedside tables, this voyeur put porno magazines. I wanted to find out whether they'd utilize what I planted. Then he does this like thing where he puts a, a suitcase in a room, and then when a person checks in, he like has this fake conversation with his wife. And when the person or persons came in to register in the office, the voyeur would pick up the phone and would talk to his wife. I had a call from a person who's left a suitcase with $1,000 and it's left in a room. Did you have any record of anybody finding that? So then they get to the bedroom and they, they find the suitcase and they, of course, pry it open. Right. And there's nothing in there, but now they've got to dispose of the suitcase. Right. They would sneak the suitcase out of the room and put it in the trunk of their car and drive it off really quick. One person took and threw it out the bathroom window. <laughs> And then, can we talk about the gay sheep? Look. (laughs) If you did not watch True Life, I'm a Furry, it was one of MTV's, the True Life series, which is amazing. I'm a Furry. It was like their first one. I don't know what this is. You were texting me about it this morning. You don't know what a Furry is? is. Furry is exactly, okay, so tell them what uh, Gerald describes. I'm not calling him the voyeur. His name is Gerald. Own your shit. So what happens is like somebody is saying like there must be a sheep in one of these rooms because there's like, we're hearing sheep noises. One time he was in the office and the cleaning lady said, listen, there must be a sheep in one of those rooms because all I hear is bow, bow. And so he goes up in the ladder and he sees two men, one of them dressed in sheep's clothing and the other guy is on top of him having sex and he's making these sheep sounds. Right. So that's basically what a furry is. Furry is usually they dress up in some kind of like adorable outfit, usually like an anime looking sort of animal. What? And it's a whole thing. You guys, I know our listeners, you guys, the Facebook group, I know you're going to come to my defense with like all gifts of true life. I'm a furry. There are conventions about it. And it's like, what? yes, that's the whole episode of, of true life. I'm a furry takes place like at the convention where these people like really, truly feel like they could be themselves. And that's it's all consensual, and it's like what they want. People are and in like all collars, like in furry costumes. Yes, they're called furries. <laughs> Please Google it so that your your search history could be chloroform and also <laughs> furries. My persona is an Arctic wolf. She's really eccentric. She is crazy, loud, and hyper. You know things I normally can't be. <laughs> My fursona is Buckshot. He's kind of just your average domestic goat that you would find on any farm. Okay, then there's like the, then there's the big thing that he sees. Okay. <laughs> so Gerald, you guys, my eyes are closed. I'm just trying to like get through the night. I just need. So Gerald then like drops the bomb. He's like, well, also another interesting thing that happened, aside from me tricking people into staying into my motel and whatever. I think I was an accessory to murder. I think I could be implicated in maybe accessory to a crime. And you're like, what? Like, if the car stops, <laughs> the record scratches. Right, you're just totally. like, I'm sorry, what? Like, yeah. everyone is in an I'm sorry, what off. We all said totally. it at the same time, like universally. Yeah. So here's what he says. It was November 10th, 1977. There was The people staying in the room were a white male and a white female, and the male was a small-time drug dealer. Yeah. I saw him distribute and sell drugs to kids. This is all according to Gerald. I'm not going to say according and allegedly 800 times. This is all what Gerald says. <laughs> Jillian does not have time for your shit, you I guys. Do not. His, yours, his, anybody's. Right. Uh, so the male was a small-time drug dealer. Gerald saw him selling drugs to kids. Yeah. So Gerald gets mad because Gerald's son, who we never see or hear about ever again. Gerald Just, has a son? 
Right. Thank you. <laughs> Who's never oh mentioned God. before or since. Who has changed his name and moved to Mexico. Please, God. Girl, call me. <laughs> Just tell me about your life. Um, Gerald's son had a drug problem because a drug dealer was selling drugs to kids. So right. Gerald feels like really like emotionally attached to this and he's all mad. He hit him in a register that was along the wall, took, screwed it out and put him in behind a register. That's where he had his stash. And when he left the room, guess what I did? I went in there and screwed him off and took the stash and went over and flushed it down the toilet. So when the drug dealer comes back, he gets mad and of course takes it out on the girlfriend. Again, according to Gerald. I know this I said is I was also where that. all the jokes stop. Nothing nothing between now and the next few minutes is funny to me. At Not all. at all. Yeah. And the only person who knew where he hid it, of course, was his girlfriend. And he accuses her and she quickly denies it. But he still insists that it must have been her. Who else knew? Wasn't me. Yes, it was. She says, I don't know anything about it. Starts slapping her around. <laughs> And, and she's also not taking his shit. She kicks him in the balls. Right. Good for her. And then he like goes crazy he, and attacks her. And attacks her. So Gerald is, and this is what makes me want to like cry with rage. According, if this story is even true, Gerald is in his own description. I can't, I'm going to get so fucking mad. I know, mad. I know. This, through this through stuff, the vent is like, hey man, lay off her. In his brain. He's not saying a word. He just reached up and grabbed her by the neck and choked her. And just kept choking her. I said, come on. I was thinking, come on, let her go. Let her go, man. And pretty soon he just quit and she fell to the floor. I'm not even going to do like the garbage, but like it's that's too jokey. Like, fuck that. Um, This is a little bit important because it it comes back later. But basically he says the drug dealer like lets her go. She falls to the ground. He sees her breathing, like her chest moving. uh So he feels like she's fine and he goes on about his day. And then the next day the maid comes to work and the maid goes into the room, comes out and he's she's like, I think there's a dead body in this room. The police came. And pretty soon a coroner shows up in his little panel truck. Oh, and I'm going, oh, I'm, I'm sick, gay, you know? Yeah. And I'm saying, you know, I could be responsible for that. Again, if this is real, whatever. It's not real, by the way, guys. No, like, it's, it's like, it's, We find out later like, it's not real. It's not real. It's Everyone not real. calm down. It's not real. Have a drink. But according to him, he's like, and that's why him say, talking about the statute of limitations drives me insane. Right, right. Because he was cool with making up a story and telling it like it's nothing. Well, and the thing that's also gross is that Gerald was like, it made me so sick. I had to quit my observations for the for night. For the night. For the night. I know. The fact is, it made me so sick that I quit observations for the night. What starts to happen at this point is that Everybody involved starts to understand that, like, they keep saying that this is a single source story and how right. bad it is to have a single source story because you can't confirm anything. I can definitely testify to the accuracy of the room, of the, I mean, the attic. I know that was, I saw it, I was there. But the rest of it I'm getting from him and he's my single source. And you're unwise to have one source. This is modern day Gay Talese talking about the book that's coming out and saying that, like, I know that the motel existed. I went there and I saw it. But there, there are other things that I can't necessarily confirm. So this murder is, is something that I can say we need to find out if this murder really happened. Right. I know the date, the year a woman in her mid-20s or maybe younger, maybe older was found dead. We have to find out who the hell that person was. I'd love to have that. And because there's going to be a lot of skepticism about the veracity of this. 
so he goes to see his book publisher and super, super gay Jameson, the only human being on earth who sounds gayer than me. And he's like, <laughs> they're talking about it. And like the publisher is even saying that like they've looked into this murder. They can't find the evidence of this murder. There was a murder that happened like three weeks later in a different location. Right. And maybe he conflated it. Everyone is making excuses to publish this great story. Could Gerald have conflated this? I don't know. You know, I don't know the answer. I don't think it's ever going to the actual total truth of all these incidents ever going to be known. The only person that knows them is Gerald, and he may not even know them because he may not remember them. Not to take too sharp of a left turn here, but we do meet his daughter, Pamela. Who calls her own father GT. Because <laughs> even she can't say gay to Lise. I know. GT, which is how I refer to him when I'm not speaking directly to him. <laughs> You can you can see that like every time she like loves her dad, but like she refers to him with an eye roll. Like that's that's her mo. Right. Also, like you guys, like creative people, don't get mad at me, but like she's obviously the daughter of a rich kid because she has a ridiculous job where she's a watercolor painter. Right. GT said, "Why don't you do something? Why don't you do an illustration for the Voyeurs Motel?" A little bit brighter. This is the sort of thing you do for your parents, you know. Mm. <laughs> so her dad is like asked her to like paint a watercolor of the motel for the story that's coming out in the New Yorker. Yeah, I think because you know how the New Yorker has like those images behind the, you know, yeah. like the banner images. Totally. So he But like, wanted... get a real job. <laughs> she doesn't have to. I know. She's she... going to inherit that brownstone in 15 gonna, I minutes. I was words out of my mouth. I was like, that. she's going to be my neighbor in about a week. Because <laughs> what's the one thing we know that's going to happen to Gates? Someone's going to die. <laughs> Someone's dying, you guys. Somebody. But this is when we find out that the motel does not exist anymore. Because Pamela Googles it. Right. And then, like, wants more images. So she's also, like, like... Gay cannot figure out how on earth she knows it. He is 80. Like, I know. Let's cut like, him the tiniest get, bit. He cannot wrap his brain around the internet. You and that internet. And she's like, Dad, please. And I called my father and said, guess what? It's been torn down. What do you say? How do you know that? How, do, how did you find that out? And I said, Google Maps. Oh, you and the internet. But like, this is significant because he didn't, because Gerald didn't want him to use, didn't want Gay to use the name of the motel because he sold it to a Korean. They keep saying Korean a hundred times. And Gerald is afraid if they use the name of the motel that's still in operation, he'll get sued. Right. But this is big because now the motel is gone. So they, there's this like Skype call. It takes Gay to at least 15 minutes to figure out how to connect to Skype. One. Jesus, how in the hell did... And he calls Gerald and they have this like party about the fact that the motel's not there anymore. But Keith Lee's perfect 80-year-old man is screaming into the phone. <laughs> he has a headset. He has a headset. But he's screaming. <laughs> and even Gerald, who I hate and is 78, is just like, yeah. hey, man, that's pretty great. <laughs> but Keith Lee's is like, hello, Gerald? <laughs> hello? Like, screaming it's at the top awesome. of his lungs. Hello. Hello, Gerald. Hey, Gay. I heard just last night that the Manor House Motel is not there anymore. <laughs> Who told you that? It's been leveled. Really? The place, everything's well, that's, been. That's news to me. Well, boy, I'm telling well, you. That's really not a big problem, though. I don't think. Ah, wait a minute. It's probably. Uh, it probably makes you relieved because you were the guy told me don't use the name of that motel yes i did they, i just told anita and she said that's good <laughs> the second the call starts gay is trying to get off the call like he's just trying to get off the, and then like there's like he some, even looks to the camera and he's I, like <laughs> I, he can't get a word in edgewise 
cannot get a word in. <laughs> and then at the end, he literally is like, goodbye, Gerald. Goodbye, Gerald. He just like hangs up on him. He's looking at everyone like, this, can you believe this guy? And then... <laughs> I'll see you. This is something to shout. Thank the Lord for. All right. Well, well it's a hooray to hooray for you and the motel. Bye-bye, Gerald. Wow. And then there's this, like, very staged moment between the documentary crew and Gay Talese. Oh, yeah. Where Gay Talese is like, well, I guess that's it. It's an empty lot. Great. And the documentary crew was like, it would be a really moving shot if we got that. And then Gay Talese is like, well. Well, if you're going to do it, you know something? I might as well go with you. And, and I'm like, go. okay. I know. And then this is like the one time we hear Anita talk because they go to see the empty lot. And then Anita had a dream the night before that she was like back working at the hotel. Anita, you are having stress <laughs> dreams. You have been traumatized. But last night I had a dream about this place and I cried. And Gerald says, what's the matter? I said, nothing. And he said, what's the matter? And I said, I missed the motel and I was dreaming that I was still working. She's like, it's just so sad. I just wish I could live there again. And I'm like, no, it's like your memories are like not what you think they are. I know. I know. That's true. Girl, like you're, you're crying over the experience, not because you miss it. I'm so sorry to tell you. Like, (laughs) I want to talk about the New Yorker editor, Susan Morrison for a second. Oh, Susan. So as a reminder, if you don't remember, Gay is writing a book and they're going to excerpt the book for the New Yorker. So the New Yorker is like, she, they want to do this article, but Susan has, is pulling no punches. She totally knows that this guy is a piece of shit. Right. And that he's like a sociopath. I mean, to me, there's never been any question that Foos is really disturbed, you know, a certain kind of sociopath who, who just needed the attention. Also, like, she is saying that, like, he's garbage, but, like, his story is newsworthy. You know, like, yeah. there is a story there. Yeah. But taken as a whole, this document that Foos has produced over decades... It's so completely fascinating, full of strange, weird details. It's an amazing snapshot of the American condition that is interesting and newsworthy in itself. And you know. early on in the documentary, like when when Gay Talese is telling her about it, and he's like, you know, I didn't really see anything that great. Just those hot people like having oral sex, and she's like. I kind of like that you didn't see anything that great. In a way, I'm glad that you didn't see anything so great because I think you run the risk of it seeming almost too creepy. And I'm like, Susan, girl, that ship has sailed. We, we're we looking back at too creepy. Too creepy. Like, totally rearview mirror creepy. Like, yeah, yeah. We're back, we're now into like severely, insanely creepy. Like, is there a camera in my apartment? That's where we are right now. Right. Again, a left turn the movie takes is they he goes to, to Gerald and Anita's house where we see like they go into the basement which looks they say it looks like a museum the entire basement area you think you're in a museum how many cards uh, your total collection about two to three million cards cards there's a million cards right there I've never oh even looked at Jesus you know? I don't even know what's in there <laughs> And it's, it's another bless this mess, but I won't bless it because he's garbage. Burn it down, burn um, this mess. Yeah, but it, he's like, so Gerald is is bragging about all these baseball cards. And Kate Elise is like, look, I know I'm wearing a three-piece suit that's custom tailored for me. <laughs> and I probably don't look like someone who knows about the worth of baseball cards. Right. But I feel like you're full of shit. Now this card, the Mickey Mantle card, that's worth anywhere from 200 to a million dollars. And I once had over a thousand of them. He has these 
prices he keeps quoting, and I don't know, is this guy nuts? But then Gaitley's posits, that's a word that means guesses, that maybe one of the reasons that that Gerald wants to tell the story now. One of the reasons he wanted to divulge his story because he could press attention and he could brag about his collection of sports memorabilia and he wanted to sell it. So that's kind of why this scene exists in the movie. We right. sort of find more out about that later. Right. Because uh, it's kind of random. We kind of just like appear in this guy's basement. Yeah, and it's the thing that makes Gaitelis be like, could this person not be telling the truth? Right. Like, obviously. Totally. Right. And then Gaitelis, after this, like calls the court, the coroner's office and to try to find out about the, the murder in the in the yeah. motel room. And he's like, I should be able to find something. Right. I had a date. I had, I, right. I, I had specifics on what they looked like. And there's like nothing. And then it gets deeper because we also find out Gerald claims to have owned this motel since 1966. But the bill of sale that like the, the book publisher is able to find says that he bought it in 1969. He described buying the motel in a particular year. We were able to get the deed sale, and we noticed that that didn't align precisely with the date in his notes. And this is really only a problem because this journal that he's kept, that's like a, the backbone of Gaitelis' story, he kept a diary of the things that he was seeing in the motel. Right. And they were all dated. Right. And they were, the dates start in like 1966. But we now know that he didn't officially own the hotel until 1969. Right. So Gaitelis is like, is he backdating? Is he making things up? But, so Gerald gives us this like bonkers, ridiculous explanation. Like He was saying, you sure, Gerald, that that's 66? And yeah, and he says, well, could it be 69? And I says, well, yeah, could be very easily. I said, one of the nines could have been inverted. And, uh, but I said, I don't know that. I said, it's a potentiality. But Gaitelis jumps on that. He's like, that's what happened. That's what happened. And so Gaitelis is saying that, like, we can publish this. This is publishable. He is saying that he inverted a number. And and Gaitelis comes back to this later. Like, he is defending Gerald so that he can publish his story that he knows is probably bogus. Right. And this is the point where he's like, the goddamn magazine really has those fact checkers. <laughs> you have to get the facts right. I want the facts right. But what I'm worried about is the fact checker. That goddamn magazine really has fact checkers. I do not look with pleasure upon the future when a person on the telephone from the New Yorker is going to be calling him up and asking him this and this and this and this and this. And half of the time, he doesn't even know what the tracks are. It's like the goddamn yeah. magazine that is published... The New Yorker, is, by the way. Right, that you've been publishing articles in forever don't Which act famous right don't act like you're surprised about the fact checkers don't <laughs> act like the fact checkers are bad to right. exist again right. don't act like it's something else right totally but he's getting so frustrated and i don't know if it's because right. he's 80 or what but he's like sitting there they're doing like a confessional like again we're back to mtv like the real <laughs> world the real it's world. like totally a confessional but then he's like at, like really like visibly agitated and you can hear i don't know who it is like i hope they're still alive like i hope they can live to tell the story but you just hear someone like jangling in the door and he's like, God damn it, just open the door. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Come in. God damn it. I wish. Open the door. Gay is losing his nerve, losing girl. But, so what happens is Enough. the article comes out. The article comes out in the New Yorker. We watch Gay Talese walk to a Dwayne Reed. <laughs> And by the magazine, and and he's, like, reading it. And he's, like, excited that Gerald's name is in the headline of the article. Right. Here it is. On the front cover of The New Yorker, in the most prominent section. Couldn't imagine a more impressive layout for a magazine article. 
with the voyeur's name, Gerald Foose. Not obscure, but right in the headline. Gerald Foose bought a motel in order to watch his guests having sex. He saw a lot more than that. That's a terrific headline. Then cut to Gerald. So now the documentary crew is in Gerald's home. This is another favorite part. I, this is this is literally my favorite part. Gerald has one of those stair chairs. If you guys don't know what that is, it's a it's a chair that like you get mounted to your stairs mm-hmm. so that you don't have to walk up them. Gerald <laughs> Gerald has read this article and he's losing his shit because Gay Talese ends the article with talking about the baseball cards and like what the baseball cards are worth. Right. Like suddenly he cares about the goddamn baseball cards. I know. And Gerald is coming. You hear it. You hear like the of the chair. And you see it. And it's going down past these awful photos <laughs> of know. these gigantic like mismatched not. They just like threw them up on the wall. Gerald is losing his mind. When Gay Talese makes that last statement in there talking about my card collection. Uh, I never wanted that in there. I don't want people to know that I got a million dollar card collection here. And I, I would have been adamant. Get that out of there. You know, you don't put that kind of stuff in there. You don't write about a man's money. I mean, I'm really mad at the gay. I'm mad as hell at him because he should have consulted me. I'm the guy, not him. And you know he has that chair for laziness. Of Don't course tell he does. Because usually those people have that if you broke your hip, if yeah, you need like. Totally. Some people of a certain age should not be going up and down stairs. Right. Like I get it. If you right. have those, we're not laughing. We're just right. Gerald is garbage. So he's yeah. fair game. Right. We I agree. Great. Completely agree. Well, I, what I also love about that is that Gerald is talking. He and Anita are sitting at their kitchen table or their breakfast nook, whatever you yeah, want to call yeah. it. And he goes on about saying how, like, well, no one comes to visit us. We don't have any friends. All our friends are dead. And Anita, like, just uh, just uh, b- above a, a mouse, just goes, yeah. well, you're friends. Yes. We know nobody's coming to visit us. Nobody ever comes to our house. Isn't that right? Nobody. Just a mailman. <laughs> we don't have any friends. All our friends are dead. Your friends. Unfortunately, yeah. And yes! Gerald steamrolls her and doesn't even acknowledge that, like, Anita is a human I, I know, with I friends. Know. You're friends. Anyway, more about me and my baseball cards and the fact right. that I'm the worst. So the whole thing with Anita. So what's happening here is that this article coming out is the precursor to the book coming out. There's this whole news segment that Gerald is watching on his phone. Yep. This one is just chilling. An Aurora motel owner watched his guests in some of the most intimate moments without them even knowing. It went on for decades, and it's all detailed in the New Yorker magazine. Were you kind of surprised that he had a phone that worked and that could play a news thing? I was. I was shocked. Totally. But then, like, it literally, they say to Gerald... Don't take it. Don't answer the phone. Don't answer the door. Don't do anything. It jump cuts to Anita. Her phone rings. She answers it. Hello. Hello. This is right. And they call Anita. So, and this right. is what journalists do, you guys. Yeah. They find other people in your life because they know that Gerald was probably told not to not to answer the phone. And Anita, I'm not even going to call her poor Anita because she knows know. what she's into. I know. She's like. They're probably not calling me. Hello? And then it's like, we got and her. she like walks the phone over to Gerald. Gives it to Gerald. It's one of the ladies that you went and uh, meet dinner post with Gay Talese. How oh, did she get my number? I don't know. Hello, this is Gerald. Okay, this, we really have this to really un- in the whole movie. unpack this, yeah. this phone call. Because he's like, well, me. 
maybe I can get back to you later. Like, maybe I can answer all your questions when the book comes out. Like, yeah. maybe let's wait on it. Well, I can't. I wish I could give you more. Why don't you wait a little bit? No, you know, wait a little bit until July when the book comes out. That's what I'd suggest. And then you call me and I'll give you an interview. And then there's Anita. I need, you start hearing Anita being like, hang up, Joe. <laughs> But I, you know, I can't tell you any more than that. Uh, you know, I can't tell you any more than that because I'm still under contract. Get off the phone, Charlie. I'm not going to answer any more questions about it. Not right now. And he's like, uh, derpy derp. Uh, well, you know, and then he's just answering questions. And then she just gets a little, just again, a little above that little mouse, just that little mousy. Gerald, hang up the phone. And then out of nowhere, she's like, I have to go now. I'm not going to answer any more questions about it. Not right now. Gerald, I have to go. And my wife had, my wife has to go, and she's getting ready to go do something. And uh, Gerald. And he's like, I'm sorry. My wife is leaving, so I must, I simply must be going. And you're I like, have... this is the most poorly choreographed way to get off a phone. Oh, my God. Okay, well, thank you very much. Goodbye. So this has been a really emotional time for the Foozes. Do you, you know, Gerald is really mad at Gay Talese for writing about his baseball. Like none of the, this is when I'm checking out. I'm like, this makes no sense. I what know. about the murder? Like, and now we're just like, go, we're having like a curmudgeon off. Like everyone is right. miserable and annoyed. Like I know, whatever, I, know. I get it. And then this is when we're seeing Gerald actually make things up in real time. Right. Because we just got through the whole thing. Nobody visits. All their friends are dead. Somewhere Anita's like, not my friends. And so <laughs> then it's like the cops show up, right? And you're like, hmm. Come on in. I got this call just a little bit ago. A threatening phone call. I'm scared to death right now. I don't even know what the hell to do. This guy was dead serious on that phone. Um, so, but the reason the cops are there is because there was a phone call made. Neither Gerald nor Anita can tell you what was said in the phone call but it was the gist of Meanwhile, there's a documentary crew there but none of them caught it right there was it was the gist of you thought you could spy on people you're the one being spied on and you're gonna die i didn't hear all of it i remembered something the guy said on the phone he said well he said now you're the one that's being watched i don't know i can't really remember that's really what both gerald yeah, and Anita both say. say and then i'm just like and even the cops are like Okay. Well, <laughs> seems like everything's fine. Um, we're right. going to go. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, guys. In preparation for the book to come out, Gay Talese now decides he's got to go back to Colorado to, like, like, mend fences. Right. And this is when Anita and Gerald talk about, basically, Gay Talese wants them to look like they ran a goddamn comb through their hair. <laughs> And like show up looking like you're a human who's right. maybe like maybe possibly going to be on trial or know, like 100% definitely being profiled by the New Yorker. Yep. Like maybe put the Olympic ring <laughs> gray sweatshirt back on the shelf. Yeah. Maybe like wash the eyeliner from under your eye. Nope, like Gay says that every time he comes to see us, he wants us to dress up. Not like what we're wearing well, now. He's used to going out with people that are all shammied up and <laughs> I'm not making fun of the way people look but they're schlubby like there's some stuff they totally. can do if they're going to be and Gatelys it's just like personally offensive to him so like Gatelys he just won't is have coming it. to their house and like Gate the, you see them putting on like we've seen scene after scene after scene of Gerald in his recliner with his belly hanging out uh, with shorts that don't fit right and nothing now, fits. Nothing, nothing fits. fits. Nothing fits. And now we see him like putting on a like a tie and Which a suit doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. 
And then there's the moment of them like standing at the door, looking out the window, watching Gay Talese walk up the drive. They are narrating in real time Gay Talese getting out of his car and walking up the driveway. Right. I want to see who's coming out of the car first. Oh, there's, there's old Gay. Oh no, he bought something for us. Oh, roses. Oh my God. <laughs> roses. We have to. But I just love how he was like, girls, if I if we're going to be seen together, <laughs> even on camera later, like right. you need to run a goddamn comb through her. We have to talk about Gay Talese's absolute shit fit. This is epic, you guys. It's is, epic. This is the re- reason enough to watch the movie. You know I love a good like contradiction where someone says something and then four seconds later they say like the complete opposite thing. I love that. Yes, absolutely. Gay Talese does that 800 times yeah. in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> it's I know. amazing. So what happens is that- It's the like, ultimate curmudgeon off. It is a total curmudgeon off. So they're sitting for a formal interview mm-hmm. and this is part of the documentary. So now we've got a, an article, a book, and a documentary. How much attention do you old guys need? I know. My no, God. You guys, like, what you did was not that it wasn't <sighs> that impressive. So Gay Talese is sitting there interviewing Gerald and give the cameraman the opportunity to like ask questions that they need to get for the documentary. Sure. And one of the questions is about when did you own the motel? And Gay Talese, because he knows his the reputation of his book is riding on it, comes to Gerald's defense. Barely lets Gerald even answer the question. He explained that he made the mistake of day of, instead of sixty-nine or sixty. It's the only answered that. He answered that. Confusion. If you're going back on the discrepancy of the dates, he's already answered that. And then he starts being like, are we done? Are we done here? Are we done here? Are we done here? And then there's like, well, one more question. Like, basically, the cameraman asks. Okay, I have a simple question for you, Gerald. All right, let's get you. Okay. Do you have any regrets working on this article and this book with Gates Lees? They asked that. Gerald is like, well, don't we have this answer on camera? Didn't you... uh... Ask that same question and it's already on tape. And that makes Gay go, wait a second. So you already have an answer. You're trying to get him to say a different answer on camera. What you've done is wrong. You talk to him privately and you got an answer. Now with me here, I'm affecting his answer. Don't you understand what I'm saying? (laughs) Gerald, do you have any regrets about this process or not? This is a phony answer. I think it's unfair to him. I want you to let him be critical of me. What you guys are doing is sanitizing it. As a person who records audio every fucking day of my life, I don't think that's what they were trying to do. Right. I think they were trying to get him in a suit to answer the question. And to have this fight between two 80-year-old men. Someone's got to die, Patrick. So what he says is, I don't need to give you a lecture on journalism. What does he do? Gives him a lecture on journalism. This is the way journalism works. These guys are not even credible journalists. They're cameramen. But they don't know. So you think that because I had that same thought process that I would say something to them that I'd never say to you personally? That is true. I don't know if it is. I bet it's more true than not true. What other questions do we have now here? Yeah. And you're like, gay girl. Gay girl is freaking Where's that out. gin martini you were supposed to have at eight in the morning? <laughs> you can really use it now. And he's like, right. how much more do we have to do? It's dragging. And I'm like, girl, I know. I, I was know. bored an hour ago. <laughs> how much more do we have to do? We're almost there. Then let's get on, because this is dragging a little bit. I know this shit is dragging. <laughs> God, same. I know, I know. Gay Talese goes back to New York. The book comes out. Then, But like right before the book comes out, the Washington Post literally uses their Google search engine. <laughs> it's like really not that good of a journalist. This is after <laughs> earlier in the movie, Gay Talese gives this like whole uh, lecture about how important it is to like do your due diligence and like right. make sure that you have all your facts correct. The Washington Post finds out in five seconds that Gerald sold the motel when? 
1983 to Earl Ballard. And now, I'm like, who's this bitch now? Now we have to bitch? worry about Earl Ballard? And the story, just so that everybody remembers, that Gerald has been telling is that he sold the motel in 1997. Right. I received this email from Farhi. But he said, I'd like to talk to you. There's some discrepancies I'd like to discuss. I have information that invalidates much of what you wrote and questions your reputation as a reporter. Wow. In 1980, the voyeur sold a motel to somebody, a friend of his, a man named Earl. Earl. Earl Ballard. Ballard. Earl Ballard. A name I never heard of. What what is happening now is that now everyone is like the, the whole thing is unraveling. Whereas we suspected all along that Gerald was making up some of this stuff. Now we're like he didn't even own this motel for the majority of the time he kept this journal. Right. He made up he made up everything. How could I have quoted the voyeur from his journal when for six years he didn't even own the goddamn motel? And I'm speechless, infuriated, frustrated, helpless. And it's like, wait, does Gaitelis, like, for real not know how the internet works? I know. <laughs> but really, like, is he that old? Like, but what is insane is that Gaitelis, like, literally oh, on the so eve of this book coming out, completely disavows the book. He's like, it's down the toilet. I felt, I'm down the tubes. The book is down the tubes. So I said that... My book is down the toilet. Mm-hmm. So now this this article comes out the next day that like this all of this is false. This whole book is false, mm-hmm. and Gay Talese is denouncing his own book. Right, which means this book just gets shell. Like this book is tanks, and it's literally every headline because someone, yeah. some one of the young documentarians was like, "Here's what the internet is, Gay Talese, God," right. <laughs> and it's every headline where it's like, you know, uh, fame, famed journalist disavows book, and yeah. that's what the story is, that's not the story. that yep. this creepo. And then it cuts back to Gerald with his like wife, and the documentarians are showing him like where the book is in the Barnes and Noble, and it's like in the science and culture set. Like this book that should have been like a major bestseller, right. nobody. There's like two copies. Yeah. And they're probably still there. How many they got? Oh, right there. One? And they sold three? Three total. Oh, God. I'm just... That book is really hid there. Nobody's going to see it. This is the moment that Anita storms out of the interview because... She what? She Tanya Harding's She Tanya Harding's out of this interview. She's like, no, thank you, Connie. Take her mic off. Tanya had a little more composure because Anita's a wreck and and didn't take her mic off fully because we could hear her sobbing in the bathroom. I know. Here. We knew something was going on. You didn't want to catch And And that's sort of like... Almost the end. And then like several months later, we see Anita and Gerald sitting in their living room watching this like late night. Watching Seth Meyers. Yeah. And Seth Meyers has Gay Talese on as a guest. Our next guest is one of the most influential journalists of the 20th century. His latest book, The Voyeur's Motel, is in stores now. Please welcome the very talented, the legend Gay Talese. And Gay Talese comes out and takes it all back. The Washington Post is wrong. The Washington Post said that during a period... He didn't own the motel. And I didn't know that. And I was very upset. And I said, well, I can't go along and to, to support this book. But the next day, I called the guy who bought the motel. And he said, no, no. He still had access to it. He had the key. If I had known 
that day I was told that what I know now or what I knew the next day, I wouldn't have disavowed the book. That Got was a it. mistake in my part, but I overreacted. I was very angry and very embarrassed too because I took pride always in my life, a reliable reporter, that's what I am. I, aren't you exhausted? Like d- d- Now that we've talked through it, aren't yeah. you a little like, like what? It's like, so I'm just watching two curmudgeon men who both really want attention. Yeah. Try to out curmudgeon each other. Yeah, and it's funny because like you you see that Gay Talese is like at the end of his career and wants to go out with a bang, and Gerald is just at the end of his life and wants his <laughs> life to have had some sort of meaning. You're a cre like you know what I was thinking this entire time. Where are the people who stayed at that motel? But also, right. like, would you even remember staying at a shithole like that? No, no, like it's a it's like a it's a by the hour hotel. Like it's a place you take a hooker. But then he would keep people there if he thought they were hot enough by oh giving God, them, I like, know. cheapo day rates. I know, I hate I know. this person. I'm done. I just feel like now someone's watching me at all times. <laughs> Somebody's watching you. So it's, uh, what's her name from Jesus Camp who lives in my closet? Rachel. Rachel <laughs> lives in my closet. And now I'm like, is there a camera in that antique clock that my grandmother gave me? <laughs> Do you have an antique clock? Yeah, it's right behind you. I'm stealing it. Girl, we did it. We finished. We got we got through it. We did it. We did it. Yay us. Um, can we talk about what I want to do next? What you want to do next? Yeah, because it's one of my favorite things. It's one of my favorite documentaries. And I saw in our Facebook group, I saw that it's back on Amazon. Oh, great. And it hasn't been there for a long time. What is it? It's called Resurrect Dead, The Mystery of the Toy and Bee Tiles. Okay. You guys, it's kind yeah, of I'm obscure. In. What, can you give me a little... So you'll know as soon as you see it, all over New York City, there are these in the crosswalks. There are little, there are tiles. Absolutely. That say like toy and... There's a whole thing that they yes. say. And it's an utter mystery as to who made them, who put them there, okay, how great. and why. And this documentary totally I'm not going to tell you anything. Don't tell don't say a word. It's I'm called in. Resurrect Dead: Mystery of the Toy and Bee Tiles. You guys, if you haven't heard of it, go find this documentary. And it's on Amazon and if it's, it's not It's on Amazon and you can stream it on Amazon. You might have to pay for it. It's so good. I love this documentary. Great. Jillian, where can the people find us? At True Crime Obsessed. No ED. On the Twitter and True Crime Obsessed. Yeah. Um, again, you guys, we're off next week. It's Christmas. Like, just love us anyway. Yeah, it's a happy 2018. I know. Thanks for hanging out with us in 2017. Like, you guys, this has we been are. Com- I'm going to tell you something that you might not even know. What? We are coming up on a million downloads. Really? I just got chills. I almost started to cry. Me too. We're coming up on a million downloads. You guys. I know. Um, we love you so much. Uh, you can follow me at Patrick Hines on the Twitter, uh, at Patrick Hines underscore, because some jerk has the other one Ugh. on the Instagram. Jillian, where yeah. can I find you? I am at Jillian with a G, all spelled out like that. Yeah. And don't forget to check out our merch store, you guys. Who doesn't want a t-shirt that says hot dummy in hot pink? You can get there via our website. Just go to truecrimeobsessed.com and click the merch button. You guys, uh, stay tuned for our outtakes. And our palate cleanser this week is from Little Shop of Horrors. Perfect. Bye. Bye. There are mysterious markers with bizarre messages. Isn't that weird? That thing in the street that says resurrect dead on planet Jupiter. It's a mystery. It's been put out in the public for 25 years asking to be solved. New York, D.C., Boston, the person who made them was a complete mystery. Everybody 
who researches this seems to just hit a brick wall. So who is placing these tiles all over Philadelphia and all over the world for that matter? It's not a shadow. It's not a phantom. It's not a ghost. Somewhere there's a human being who's behind all of this. I've been looking for this needle in the haystack for years and years and years and years. He's manic when it comes to that stuff. He can't stop thinking it. He can't turn it off. There's just these little clues like dropped around this mystery. You may have information to help solve a 20 plus year old mystery. We're not gonna make this discovery. You know, we're barking up the wrong tree. It's the quagmire. It's like waking up from this dream. He had some trouble with death. What I'm gonna do is conduct this paranormal experiment with you. I know some guys that probably know about what you're talking about. In 1985, this really strange broadcast came over his TV. There was a timeline put on this stuff for the first time. All of these things were coming together on this one suspect. They are stationed there still, outside my house, waiting for me. This is actually interesting, because gay sort of takes us... I can't... <laughs> We have to just call them police. We have to. <laughs> it's so funny that, like, you can't handle it. I can't hear it. Now I can't not hear us calling him, like, gay, gay, police. Right. Straight, gay, police. Straight, gay, police. Straight, gay, police. Right. Straight, gay, police. <laughs> Super fashionable bachelor. <laughs> it's part of it where it's like these people feel like outcasts, right? Oh and like God. they come to this motel to like be their furry selves. Be their furry selves <laughs> consensually, and then this guy is like laughing at them. Yeah. I'm kind of laughing at them too. I might need to get a refill on this wine. <laughs> You're drinking out of a Broadway backstory mug. Of course. Oh my God. Come on, girl. Yes. Please I get- love that everybody's favorite moment from the last week's episode was when Please we talked help. about O.J. Simpson. You were like, he's so guilty. I'm so sorry. You guys let him go. Not sorry. <laughs> and now he's like going to play golf for the rest of his life. I cannot. I he's know. guilty. Guilty. Can we get a guilty <laughs> bell? Ding, 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 ding. He's guilty. Every time I see those chairs, I think of um, Gremlins 2. Do you remember that movie? Of course. So there's a scene where one of the gremlins is coming down one of those chairs. <laughs> yeah. And then the old lady whose chair it actually is gets in it. And the gremlin puts it on like overdrive. And the lady goes Just so goes fast. Fly. The stairs, and she goes <laughs> yeah. through the window. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Oh I think that's God. my only association with those chairs. It's- also, Gremlins 2 is, is, is a classic. It is. Phoebe Cates is her best work next to Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> Oh my God, Drop Dead Fred. I know. He has to like build the ducks because he doesn't want anybody to know what he's doing. Right. He had to buy it himself because he couldn't buy it and like have a landlord. You know or who whatever. else did this? H.H. Holmes. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is the story of H.H. Holmes. Yeah. Cheryl. Shh, Cheryl. Shh. And she's doing that hand thing, you know, like, Cheryl. Shh, shh, Cheryl. Get off the phone. I have to go. I have to. And then that whole like, I must be going. Well, my wife has to go. It's like a neat. I know. I and know. Gerald. Someone show me a way to get out of here Cause I constantly pray I'll get out of here Please won't somebody say I'll get out of here Someone give me my shot or I'll rot here 
Show me how and I will. I'll get out of here. I'll start climbing uphill and get out of here. Someone tell me I still can get out of here. Someone tell Lady Hope that I'm stuck here. I answer with my swell to get out of here. Take the gutter farewell and get out of here. I'm in heaven and hell to get out of skid. I do not know what to get out of skid. But I have a lot to get out of skid. People tell me there's not a way out of skid. Believe me, I gotta get out of skid. about Ollie real quick. I know you love it. Well, yeah. So my pup Pete is on a diet. Poor thing. I know, but not not really because he has Ollie now. You guys, we got a lot to tell you about Ollie. Let's go. Ollie puts dogs first with vet formulated recipes and fully transparent ingredients to give your dog the healthiest food possible. Right. So that means they make fresh meals for dogs with real ingredients that you guys, we can eat the ingredients. Oh my God. Yeah. And then they deliver it to your door on a regular schedule. They beat out store-bought dog food 10 to 1 on the palatability scale. Pete doesn't know he's on a diet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so these vet formulated recipes, they're made with all natural ingredients, no preservatives, and they're sourced from U.S. family farms. You guys go to myolly.com, answer a few questions about your dog, and they'll customize recipe to your dog and ship pre-portioned meals so your pup gets the perfect portion every time. I know they address it to Pete. It's the cutest thing in the world. <laughs> Do they really? Yes. <laughs> you guys, they've delivered 5 million meals and counting. Shipping is free. And if your dog doesn't love the meals, they have a money back guarantee. Right. So Ollie is offering our listeners 60% off your first box plus a free bag of treats at myolly.com slash try slash TCO. This is the best deal they have available anywhere, you guys. Go to myolly.com slash try slash TCO for 60% off plus a free bag of treats. Right, and that's spelled my O-L-L-I-E dot com slash try slash TCO. Go! Go! We love you. Love you, dogs. Bye. <laughs>